Hey there, travelers. I'm Isabella. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. And this is True Crime International. Isabella, where are we going today? Today we are headed to Mozambique. Um, I realized the other day that I've done an awful lot of cases in Asia. I've done Japan and South Korea and India and Singapore, and I figured it was time to branch out a bit. As much as I love Asia, and I feel like we should we should give uh we should give Africa a little bit more love. And so uh, I found this case. It actually just kind of popped up uh, on my YouTube recommended one day. This the uh, they did a 60 Minutes episode on this in Australia. Uh, and this case actually deserves its own movie. It's wild. It does not It does not go the direction you think it's going to go. I had no idea that other places had 60 Minutes. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. But, like, I like, I guess I just always figured that it was just America. That's a very American perspective. We're the only <laughs> one who gets 60 Minutes. <laughs> Honestly, I think I thought it because I hate that show. Like, I hate <laughs> 60 Minutes. Oh, see, I, I think they do good. I, like, I've seen 60 Minutes Australia before, and they do uh, they do a lot of true crime on there. And I've so that's usually recommended to me. And they do some really good uh, pieces on there. I, I enjoy also, it. Also, explain to me why the episode that I found on this, the 60 Minute episodes, was not – it was, like, 30 minutes. They don't just do one – piece for 60 minutes you say you hate it but have you ever actually seen it like they'll they'll, they'll (laughs) usually do two pieces maybe i just hate it so much it just feels like an hour yeah they usually do uh two maybe three stories in in 60 minutes plus commercial breaks so yeah the the piece is 23 minutes but that would make sense if they're doing more than one it's the sound <laughs> anyway, this is not important. Uh, this is the story of Ellie Warren. So, Ellie was born in Melbourne, Australia in 1996. So, shout out to my fellow 1996 babies. Me. Not yeah. me. <laughs> Riley's the baby of the group. <clears throat> That's me. I honestly don't know a ton about Ellie's early life, except that she was very bubbly um, and her parents got divorced when she was young. Uh, but they stayed on good terms. She has a sister. That's really all I know. But like many young Aussies, she had an insatiable love of travel and she wanted to see the world. And I can relate to this. And honestly, anytime I am in any hostel anywhere in the world, I always meet Australians. Australians love to travel. I think because they're so isolated from the rest of the world, they just kind of get like island fever and they just, they really want to, they really want to see more. And Ellie was definitely among that group. She was especially drawn to Africa, where she she really loved the wildlife, she loved the culture, she loved the people. And after she finished secondary school, she started traveling. So for so for like people who don't call it secondary school, that's like high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she was like young when she started traveling. Oh yeah, she would have she would have been about 18 or so. Okay. She uh this is unusual for Americans, but she didn't immediately go to university after mm-hmm. leaving secondary school, high school. A lot of people in other countries do what's called a gap year. And mm-hmm. I think hers was more like a gap two years. 
but something that fine. should happen. Oh yeah, I think it should be more like, of a thing. That's something that should be recognized as something that's okay over here. Like yeah, the pressures put on. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And it definitely differs from state to state. This is off topic, and you can yeah. take it out if you want. But I was getting my nails done the other day, and the girl who was doing my nails is from Florida, and she said that there are a lot of cultural differences between Florida and michigan mm -hmm. and she said the one that kind of shocked her the most is that in michigan it's not a question of like if you're going to go to college it's the question is like where are you going to go to college mm -hmm. whereas in florida it's more of a question like are you going to go to college are you going to go to trade school are you going to do something else but not up here and it like really shocked her yeah yeah i noticed that when i lived in washington state as well uh where you go to college is definitely a thing there but uh they they actually start offering uh, like trade schools, trade school positions uh, while kids are still in high school. And I think that's really cool. And it's not yeah. seen as a, a bad thing to go to a trade school. And I don't know why in some areas of the states going to a trade school is seen as this like lesser than thing. It's not. We need people with trades. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mechanics, plumbers, welders. Yeah. I mean, like, people are like, oh, you're a plumber. You didn't go to college. Like, okay, who else is going to fix your fucking toilet that's full of shit? Exactly. Yeah. Like, be thankful for the plumber. <laughs> and one of my roommates in Washington State was actually a welder, and she was really good, and she ended up going into the Navy for welding as well. And, like, she's, like, yeah. a world-class, really good welder. And we need, we need welders. Like, do what you want with your life, and don't judge other people for what they do with theirs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, here in Spain, after you've finished uh, – so secondary school is like divided into two. And so when you get to the second half of secondary school, that's when you can choose if you want to do like pre-university or like get into a trade. And trades are things like mechanics, plumbers, welders, but also nursing is considered a trade. Mm. Um, being a chef, working in hospitality, those are not things you go to university for here. Cosmetology, hair, stuff like that. I mean, I am thankful that my hairstylist and my nail girl went to cosmetology school let me tell you exactly <laughs> i'm thankful that they went into a trade and it's not seen as any bad thing whatsoever if you choose to go the trade route here and i think that's awesome because that's how it should be anyway mm -hmm. i'm not entirely sure of all the places that ellie went when she started traveling but it honestly doesn't really matter that much our story really starts in september 2016 when at just 20 years old she set off for mozambique for a six-week marine conservation and research trip uh mozambique if you don't know, is Southeast Africa. Uh, and so it, it borders it the, the Indian Ocean. Yeah, it's on the coast. Okay. Ellie really loved marine biology and going diving. That was like her favorite thing. Very, very Australian. Very, very Australian trait. And she was even going to study marine biology upon her return to Australia. So this was like her last trip before going back and finally going to school. Me wondering if she was inspired by Cleo and H2O just out of water. Clear, Ima. <laughs> I wonder Sorry. if that was even on in Australia. Yeah, they all had Australian accents. Doesn't mean I that mean, it was on there. It was an Australian show. Oh, okay, they came to the states. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> keep going, please, before I keep thinking about this. Ellie and the other volunteers were based at Tofo Beach in Mozambique. And the trip went off without a hitch. Like, it was fine. She had a really great time. She loved being out on the water and learning every day. She loved diving and seeing all sorts of marine life, including a whale shark. And there's a picture of her with the whale shark that she saw. And she was so 
excited. Like the whole trip was worth it for her for that one time she was diving with a whale shark. That's cute. Yeah. That's really cute. Ellie was having such a good time there that she actually planned to stay a few extra days after the program ended before going back to Australia. Because uh, she she wanted to get a bit more diving in and a couple of the other volunteers were sticking around as well. So it was just like, you know, a few days vacation before going back and starting school. And I don't blame her. I would do it too. As part of the research group, she was staying at Casa Berry, which was a hostel on Tofo Beach. And she had booked accommodation at Uyani Parayango, just one kilometer away. So like, I think it was just a cheaper hostel. It was just, you know, it kept her, it just kept her in the same area, you know? Yeah. Now, it's not entirely clear if she actually ended up checking into the hostel or not. Some sources say that she did, and that's where she left her stuff. Others say that she didn't, and her stuff was still at Casa Barry. It's not that important, but just so you know, the, like this is kind of the first thing that we'll run into of we're just not really sure what happened. Uh, there will be more questions in this case in the future. Yeah. And also, like, clearly this is, like, a popular spot for people to, like, be moving in and out of. So, like, yeah, it could, like, I could see it being confusing. Either way, on November 8th, 2016, Ellie met up with some friends that she had made on the trip. And they all went out to, like, a local market to have a drink, hang out. The group then went back to someone's place, like, one of her acquaintances, don't know who, doesn't matter. Um, they were there for a little bit. And then Ellie ended up leaving with a couple of others from the group, so they broke off into a smaller group. They went back to the market for another drink, and then Ellie ended up leaving the market alone that night. Don't leave your friends alone. Don't let them go alone. Buddy system. And Don't no matter where let you are, go buddy alone. Always. <laughs> Always buddy system. Yes. The next day, on Wednesday, November 9th, four days before Ellie was scheduled to fly back home, her body was found at 5 a.m. outside a public toilet block by fishermen who reported it to the police. That's so sad that it was like so soon before right? she was going to be home. Yeah. Also, this is why you use the buddy system. Not that we're victim blaming or blaming the yeah. friends or anything. No, no, absolutely not. It's but just, like for your safety. Yeah. We're blaming the terrible people in the world that suck. That cause us to have yeah. to use the buddy system. Yeah. So that particular toilet block, it was a busy one because like it was public and it was in a, a pretty busy area. So before the police arrived, other people saw her body too. And oh. one even took a picture. So Ellie was, this picture, we're not mad at this picture, but I'll, I'll explain later, but we are not mad at it. It's actually really important. Uh, Ellie was on her stomach. She was laying on her stomach and her shorts and underwear were pulled down to her knees. Uh, and people noted that her body showed no apparent signs of violence like she wasn't stabbed she wasn't shot there wasn't any blood she didn't have like a ton of bruising so it was really quite odd that's very interesting now the police investigation get ready to rage when am i not ready to rage at police at the police investigation the whole reason like we do this true crime podcast is because police are terrible yeah it's yeah. just like more care needs to be put into how things are investigated. Like, all around the world. It's just... It's frustrating. Agreed. So, given that the murder happened in Mozambique, the investigation falls under the jurisdiction of Mozambique police, not the Australian police. 
And the police in Mozambique, they really fucked up the investigation. First of all, they didn't properly collect evidence, and some of the evidence that they did collect disappeared. That's impossible. It doesn't just disappear. It never just disappears. When that happens, it's like, uh because you know something's up. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there are a lot of gaps here. So six months after Ellie's body was found, they published their first report on the case, which was a page and a half, a page and a half, and stated that Ellie's death was caused by an overdose of drugs. However, toxicology reports using both hair and liver samples, which were sent to labs in both South Africa and Australia, stated that there were absolutely no drugs in Ellie's system. Hello? Sounds lazy to me. Yeah. The police received some very well-deserved backlash because of this. So four days after they released uh, the first report, they released a new report, um, which was pretty much just a copy and paste of the autopsy, which they already had before they published the first report and which stated, the autopsy stated, that her death was a homicide. So the new report's basically just copy and paste of the autopsy saying that it was a homicide. And the police were like, whoops, yeah, it was a homicide. Um, case closed. And they effectively destroyed their credibility as investigators. And after that, they really didn't investigate it any further. They're like, yeah, it was a homicide. That's fucked up. And that's it. Smart, smart. So as you can probably imagine, Ellie's family was extremely frustrated with the police in Mozambique. And they actually play a huge role in the story. Since the Mozambique police weren't doing shit, Ellie's dad, Paul, decided to take matters into his own hands. I love Paul. I love him. We gotta love a good dad. Mm -hmm. He traveled to Mozambique and managed to get a hold of the second police report, which, again, was just a copy and paste of the autopsy. But it was in Portuguese. The official language of Mozambique is Portuguese. So from there, Paul went to South Africa, where officials at the Australian embassy said that they would translate it for him. But then two months later, they told him that they didn't have the resources to translate the eight-page document and that he was on his own. And it's like, okay, it's in Portuguese. I could understand. So Portuguese is the official language of Mozambique, but there are, there are 60 other languages spoken in the country. So I could understand if they said they didn't have the resources, if it was one of the other languages spoken in the country, especially if it was like very small, very niche, not very many people speak it. I can understand that. But Portuguese? Portuguese. Yeah. It also, is a I'm huge sure language. There was someone there that spoke English and Portuguese who, if asked, probably would have helped him. Exactly. Also, it's like weird to me that it wasn't already because considering that the, the, um, they had already received a report in Australia. It's interesting to me that it wasn't already translated. Well, the report wasn't sent to the Australian police. It was sent to the family. But yeah, uh, and Australian police, they, they couldn't really touch no, this case. About, that's not what I was talking about. The no, the, the labs. Not oh, yeah, but that, I mean, that's, that's an independent lab. That's not yeah. the police. Also, just to clarify, the autopsy wasn't performed in Australia. It was just the toxicology. So okay. they, all they had was the hair and liver samples. They didn't have access to the body. That was only gotcha. in Mozambique. They were the only ones that had the right to do the, op the autopsy. So what did Paul do since the Australian officials wouldn't help him? He used Google Translate to decipher his daughter's autopsy report. 
that's, that is oh, so that's sad. A risky risky and sad yeah. yeah and i mean i feel i feel for him i really do i just feel like he did it i just feel like he doesn't know that there are really cheap translation services on the internet yeah just because like i know google translate like it's flawed like mm-hmm. it it'll get you what you need to get like if it's a really simple like statement but like this probably wasn't yeah it was probably a lot harder to translate and like very accurately. specific language yeah yeah um i don't know this for sure but because it was featured on 60 minutes australia i feel like they probably had the money to hire someone that speaks portuguese to translate 8 pages because again, it like mm-hmm. and it's so it's such bullshit that the Australian authorities wouldn't help because it's not like it was this huge long report. It's eight pages. Yeah, it's not like that nine hundred and some pages or whatever from the cruise ship report. Like it's exactly mm-hmm. it's short. Yeah, it's short and it's in a really commonly spoken language in the world. It's ridiculous yeah. that they wouldn't help. Anyway, so the autopsy results showed that Ellie was asphyxiated by sand as there was sand found blocking her airways. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to suffocate on sand. That's terrifying. Yeah. It was also found that she had not been sexually assaulted. So even though her shorts and pants are pulled down, she had not, no one had touched her in that way. One Australian investigator looked at the reports, like this was independent and he was just offering his opinion. This was not a part of an official investigation. It's really important to note that. Uh, He looked at the Mm -hmm. reports from the Mozambique police and he analyzed it and found that it was just full of flaws. And he also noted that people don't just choke accidentally accidentally on sand. No. Even someone that's drugged or in the drunken state, which Ellie was not, we know this, like she had had a couple of drinks, but... We know that she wasn't drunk. Also, do you know how many, like, how many children have, like, eaten and, like, consumed and inhaled sand? Yeah. While, like, playing on the beach? That's not just something that happens super accidentally. Yeah. And it's extremely unlikely that someone face down would choke on sand because your body is going to try and get rid of it, you know? Yeah. So someone's going to have to hold her there, like, either hold her head down in sand or shove it in her mouth. This is the professional opinion of this Australian investigator. And another important thing to note here is that the location where Ellie's body was found wasn't sandy. It was packed down earth. Like there was some sand there, but not nearly enough for her to choke. Yeah. So she very clearly had been murdered somewhere else and then moved to the toilet block was she when she left the market that night was she near sand or was it the same kind of ground i'm not sure where the market is but she was staying in a beach town so she's never going to be far from the beach it's so frustrating to me because when i'm thinking about this and like the the body definitely being moved and stuff and it was moved to such a public space it's almost like the person and so it would generate a lot of people like talking about this Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. like the person that did this knew that they could get away with it which is like ah it was a weird noise that didn't properly like no it's frustrating (laughs) angelica are you okay 
discover. <laughs> anyway, at this point, it's pretty obvious that this is a police cover-up. They didn't just lose evidence, you know? At the beginning of the investigation, the general belief was that the police were just in way over their heads when it came to this case. And to some extent, I can see that, especially given the international aspect of it, because there is added pressure when it's an international case. Um, and, it, you know, it just brings a lot of extra things to the police that they're probably not used to experiencing. However, yeah. I don't believe that they are that stupid. I don't, truly. No. And based on their reports and they're not wanting to investigate further, the theory became that they were trying to sweep the case under the rug because Tofo Beach is trying to build a substantial tourism industry. It already has a tourism industry, but they are trying to grow it and really make it like super lucrative. Um, and I can definitely see that, especially since tourism can really improve uh, a town, a city's economy. It creates jobs. It can be really, really good for the community. Obviously, yes, there's over-tourism and that sort of thing needs to be addressed. But for Tofo Beach, they are not experiencing over-tourism. They're still trying to build it. So um, that became the main theory. And a decent tourism industry is something that the country could really use after the civil war that they faced from 1977 to 1992, as they still feel the effects of that civil war. And it still kind of clouds people's perception of the country. So they are really trying to create a squeaky clean image um, to avoid that, to, to avoid, well, to, to keep people wanting to come to Mozambique. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to Mozambique. And actually, Tofo Beach is stunningly beautiful. I would go there. Even after knowing all this that happened, I would still I would still go there. Um, but I do think that's an important thing to mention. So it makes sense that the police would want to protect this image because it helps the community at large, which means it helps them. But it's actually no longer the primary theory as to why they didn't investigate further, but more on that later. Back to Paul. In 2018, he went to Tofo Beach. Well, I think this was his second or third trip to Tofo Beach in 2018. He went to the spot where his daughter's body was found. He put up pictures of her all around. He talked to locals. And he actually did what the police there couldn't do in two years of looking into the case. I say that very loosely. They didn't really look very hard. No. Yeah. But he was the one that got the photo of her body. So this... Oh, God. That's awful. Like, for him to see. Wow. So the photo was taken by one of the fishermen that found her body. So it was taken before the police got there. This is important to note. And the fisherman had seen Paul around, saw that he was putting up pictures, and went to him and ended up selling him the photo, hoping that it would help in some way. Selling. And it was, or I know, just he, give him the photo. Yeah. It was, I mean, for, for, for Paul, it was cheap. I don't know how much it was specifically, but they said it was a small price. So, gotcha. The second significant thing that Paul found came from two of the other locals that were there that morning and saw the body because they said it was in an entirely different position when they saw it. So the fisherman took the picture of her lying face down on the dirt. But when the other two saw Ellie, it was when the police were already there and they said that she was in a, quote, Muslim prayer position or like child's pose. Hmm. Also, how would you, it's very odd that like they would be able to get her into that position, especially if Rigor Mortis had already set in, which if she hadn't been 
dead that long. I don't know if it would have, but so like so weird. Why? Yeah. So the theory is that she was repositioned by the police to make it look as if she had been going to the bathroom and then she'd fallen over and died. A healthy 20-year-old. Also, I'm sorry, you don't just fall over and die into child's pose. No. Yeah. Like that's but if not... you fell off if you fell off the toilet, if you were sitting on the toilet and you passed out, you would slump to the side, yeah. maybe slump forward, but then you'd fall off and end up like on your side because you'd hit head first. I mean, it yeah. wasn't a toilet, it was a squatty potty. So like oh, a hole okay. in the ground. Um so but like still. it makes sense to an extent, but it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense for her arms to be extended past no. her head, which they say it was. No. Like I she could her knees and everything could get into that position, but not her arms. That's pretty unnatural. Plus, the photo tells something else, too. So, like, yeah. clearly... The fact that the photo was there. taken before the police got there and the fact that yeah. two different uh, witnesses said that they saw her in that, uh, quote, Muslim prayer, prayer position or child's pose, um, that, like, that that tells us a lot about what the police did. And it was only two officers that were there as well. It wasn't yeah. like it was a whole team. yeah. Paul ended up spending $50,000 Australian dollars of his own money on his trips to Mozambique and South Africa uh, and his personal investigations into his daughter's murder. $50,000. And he put up a $25,000 reward for information as well. Now, <laughs> this is where things get crazy. And honestly, if I saw this on a TV show, I would think it was a little far-fetched. So in March 2020, so pretty recently, less than a year ago, Paul got a tip from a, quote, very concerned South African mother, unquote, who informed him of a man she was familiar with that was a local Totofo who was known for, quote, spiking tourist drinks and stealing from them, unquote. Mm. So not a great dude. No. Mm. Paul gave the information to a German private investigator named Nick Greger, who offered to work on the case pro bono. And look, guys, I really have to tell you about Nick. It's not super okay. important to the case, but you just have to know. Nick Greger is a former neo-Nazi who at one point was considered to be one of the most dangerous men in Europe. What? He actually went to prison for several years because he had been planning actual terrorist attacks against minorities in Germany. Why is this man out? I don't, he served a sentence? I don't know. Um, he didn't carry out the attacks. It was just planned, so I don't think they can keep him in there forever. I don't know all the German That's rules. Um, but he's a former neo-Nazi. He's not a neo-Nazi anymore. Uh, but he also has unique knowledge and skills around the worlds of like war, crime, and paramilitary operations because he spent over a decade going all over the Middle East, Africa, and the Caucasus working with people in like the underworld, like, you know, criminal syndicates and all that sort of thing. He left all that behind him. He is no longer a Nazi. He believes in equality. He, he really, he really grew as a human being. And I, I, I respect that, but he, he doesn't really have any other skills other than crime, so he decided to kind of flip the script on it and become a private investigator for people because because of his unique skills and, and knowledge, it helps him find criminals better than a lot of police can. Uh, he says he's really good at it because he, quote, knows how criminals think. I mean, I guess that probably could be true. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like blacklists, but... Yeah, and yeah. especially since he was so international as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah intercontinental as well too like i i trust in nick 
also this is really unimportant, but I just have to say it because I really love it. Um, when when he was like a really bad dude, his his name that he was called by, like other like his name that the other criminals called him by and the media called him by was Mad Nick. And I love it. Oh Mad God. Nick. That's funny. <laughs> Why does that sound like one of Nick's alter egos in New Girl? <laughs> <laughs> So in June 2020, Nick heard the story and reached out to Paul and offered his services for free, which is so nice of him because he was really touched by the story and how much Paul wanted answers. And he knew that Paul didn't have a ton of money to give him. So he's like, no, dude, I'll do it for free. And I I love it. He's already spent so much money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nick had to do all of his investigating from Germany because of the pandemic, but he still did an amazing fucking job. Um, So... Since they already had a lead, Nick was able to identify the drink spiker dude uh, within just two days by poking around and asking the right people the right questions. He had a he had a contact in Mozambique to go and like ask around, and he found out pretty quick because this criminal's known around Tofo Beach, and he's got like really distinct tattoos and a lot of swagger. Um, we don't have a name for him, uh, but apparently he's a local crime lord. Uh, he dra- he traffics cocaine. He runs a prostitution ring. And, of course, he drugs and robs tourists. All the locals know who he is, and everyone thinks that he can get away with whatever he wants because he pays off the police. Oh. Mm. Okay. So, after identifying the man, Nick wanted to infiltrate his inner circle. He couldn't send a Westerner to do this, though, because A, COVID, and B, a white person showing up to this, you know, small community asking about a local crime lord is going to make people scared, and it's going to raise a lot of eyebrows. Yeah. So he needed a local to work with them. So he came up with a plan to, quote, recruit a local woman to befriend the prime suspect. Oh, God. We're going full sting operation here, and I yeah, love apparently. sting operation. Also, like, not, not even an official sting operation. No. Just this reformed Nazi in Germany doing it. I, I totally would not agree to help him just because, like, I feel like they couldn't, like, take all of the safety precautions. But, like, I hope it worked at the same time. So, like I said before, Nick already had a contact on the ground in Mozambique. So, uh, he gave that person a profile of the type of woman he was looking for to do this job. Nick interviewed several sex workers from neighboring areas over Zoom. And I I love that, like... So 2020. Well, you can't do it any differently. I mean, unfortunately. Oh. Like peak peak 2020 was a German guy uh, organizing a sting operation over Zoom. <laughs> I love it. I wonder I wonder all of the all of the meetings Zoom saw last year. I wonder what the weirdest ones are. That would right? be an amazing piece of knowledge. They should have done like a 2020 recap. <laughs> <laughs> So Nick said that the first few women that he interviewed were, quote, not bad enough and not ruthless enough, unquote. But he eventually found the perfect candidate. We don't know her name, obviously, for her own safety. So we're going to call her B for brave because this woman is so brave. She has much bigger balls than I could ever dream to have. B for balls. B for balls. (laughs) According to Nick, she, quote, comes from the kind of environment where killers and gangsters are not a rare thing. So when he described the mission, she was not scared at all. 
she was absolutely relaxed, unquote. She's just like, yeah, infiltrate the inner circle of a local drug lord. That's cool. How much you paying me? Infiltrate the dealers. Find the supplier. No, no one. No one got the the twenty one jumps Jump Street. Tw- yeah, twenty one Jump Street yes. reference. Sorry, I was I was thinking about a question I'm going to have, so it like took me a minute. But yes, of course, <laughs> I love those movies. I haven't seen either. <gasps> All right, well, they're Thank a you. good movie. So you should a good easy to our movie. listeners. You should have seen the look on Riley and Angelica's face when I said that I didn't like Mamma Mia two. I don't. I don't. I. I don't think you should bring that up. <laughs> I just think that... I don't think you should tell the listeners that. <laughs> I didn't like it. I thought it. I didn't like it. I love the first one. I'll watch that for years, but I didn't like the second one. Okay, so uh, it took a few days, but B eventually arrived in Tofu. Like I said, he was looking for women from surrounding areas. He didn't want to find a local woman because that would be more dangerous for that woman. You know, if they're already in the community. But two weeks after B arrived in Tofu, she made contact with the suspect. The original plan was for her to mention Ellie like casually because uh, the last time Paul had been in Mozambique, he put up a little memorial uh, for Ellie next to the place where her body was found and it had pictures of her. Um, It was really sweet. He laid flowers there. But by the time B was in Tofo, the memorial had been taken down, which disrespectful whoever did that. Yeah, that's super disrespectful. So because the memorial wasn't there, she didn't have a, a great way to just mention it you know okay that's what i was wondering because i was like like how's she gonna do this because it happened a while ago like mm-hmm. they're gonna be suspicious if they just like if she just brings this up you know yeah so the su- the suspect did like her and you know she sort of became part of his inner circle and after four weeks she managed to record him saying the following this is the quote I don't want to hurt you. I want to love you, but don't treat me like a fool. I'm a gangster. I do what I like. I come from the dirtiest ghetto in Africa. Imagine me cutting your neck and cutting your hands and your legs. How will I feel tomorrow? I won't feel good. Because now I can't call you. I can't say, hey, que pasa? Because I kill you. How do I live with myself? So he's not a great dude. No. And you can't you can actually find this recording and listen to it on the internet um it's 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 not the greatest thing to hear no it's a little terrifying also it's like she got him to admit this but like or well say this or whatever but like also what he's describing is a very violent act Mm -hmm. and from what they described like when they found ellie is they didn't see a lot of like expressions of violence on her yeah. body so like i don't i don't know i i feel like if he has done something or will do something like it's gonna be violent like he's describing so i see what you're saying however I think it's an entirely different thing for him to say this to someone that he thinks he knows and someone that is local versus what he would say or do to a white female tourist. Like, he's not known for harming tourists. He drugs them, yeah, and that's horrible. Uh, And he robs them, and that's horrible. But he is not known to be violent towards tourists. So, obviously, this is not the confession that they wanted. But 
B no. couldn't get anything else out of him. She had to leave very shortly after because the whole situation became too dangerous for her. And I mean, if that's like the first violent thing he sent to her, said to her, I can't even imagine what sorts of things he was saying after. So yeah, get yeah. out of there, B. But according to Nick and Paul, based on their investigations, they believe that Ellie's death was the result of a robbery gone wrong. The working theory as of right now is that Ellie was walking home on the main beach when the suspect and one of his henchmen tried to rob her, which would be in character for him. Yeah. They don't think that they actually set out to kill her, but they think that it was an accident as a result of her trying to resist, you know, them robbing her. Mm -hmm. And this is backed up by the fact that there were some signs of a struggle on her body because she had bruises on the left side of her neck and around her mouth. So that could be consistent with someone very like hot, like holding her head down in the sand really, really hard. Yeah. And that's that would also explain how she could like suffocate from sand. Exactly. Polls criticized the Australian authorities hard for their lack of action and help. He has said that they're not doing he has said that they're not doing nearly enough to solve the case, but the Australian Federal Police have actually urged him to stop his own investigations because they say it could jeopardize their own investigation. Um, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because they don't have much power in this investigation. Like Australian police have worked with the police in Mozambique, but if they're working on based on what the police in Mozambique have, it's not enough and it's it's not a lot at all because they didn't collect evidence properly. They, some disappeared. I'm not going to say they destroyed it, but, you know, evidence disappeared. Um, and we know through the locals that there's a local crime lord that pays off the police. Yeah. You know? So Paul, in turn, has urged the Australian Federal Police and the Department of Foreign Affairs to use their diplomatic powers to test a DNA sample from the suspect against the clothes Ellie had been wearing that night. However, like I said, you know, the Australian police just don't have a ton of power, so they can't really do it. They don't have any jurisdiction in Mozambique. And yeah, that's pretty much it. That's that's where we are right now. I mean, this uh my sources were written in like December 2020, so they're only a month and a super half old. Recent. This is yeah. super recent. So if there are any changes in the case, you know, in the next year or two, I'll probably do a a layover on it because I I really want to know if I an update I, episode. Yeah, I feel like I I can really buy the theory that it was you know the local crime lord and one of his henchmen and that it was a robbery gone wrong. I really I can really believe that. For me, the interest in this case is more of the bureaucracy behind it and the politics behind it. And you know I want to see if the Australian police will be able to actually get some more power in the case. Um, you know, if maybe miraculously the local police in Mozambique do better. Decide to solve it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, if you want to see pictures of this case, uh, pictures of Ellie, I'm not going to post the picture of her uh, body. No, we won't do that. No, we won't do that. It's out there. If you really want to, you can find it, but we won't post it. But I'll, I'll post pictures of Ellie and Tofo Beach. It really is such a beautiful beach. Like, I really want to go to the beach. I want to go to any beach anywhere right now. Yeah. Uh, you can find those pictures on our Instagram at TrueCrimeINTL. We also have a Facebook, which is just True Crime International. You can join the Facebook group and come chat with us. Uh, we actually had our first, like, person chat 
the other day. Someone replied to something that I had posted and it made me very happy. Also, if you're listening, keep keep it up. Yeah, keep it up. Please make our day and come post things. Tell us about your country, your culture, anything, any cases you want us to do, whatever. Um, Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, if you would please leave us a five star review, we would love you forever for it. It takes literally a second to just scroll down and hit the five stars, or if you have a minute or two, writing us a nice message. Again, we'd really appreciate it, and it helps more people find the show. If you would like some extra content, we do have a Patreon. We only have one level right now. It's $5 a month, so if that's reasonable to you, you can sign up to our Patreon, where you would get three, at least three extra bonus pieces of content a month, including a layover, a full-length episode, and a red-eye where we get drunk and talk about fun cases. And that's about it. Well, travelers, um, we hope you've learned something new today, and we hope, <laughs> and we hope you've enjoyed your stay here at True Crime International. Bye. 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 Bye.